Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. I've been reading a new book by Rollo May, which is on, it's called The Meaning of Anxiety. It's helped me navigate a few of my kind of life. I've just been thinking about all the new new changes coming along and the difference that I found very comforting is anxiety is something that is paralyzing because it's you're not able to identify the object of anxiety. Fear is something that you can, you know, act against. And so anxiety is paralyzing and fear is something that you can run away from or run to. So that's something that I hadn't, I think, conceptually separated the two of them in my mind. And so what has helped me is to under, try to understand that anxious feeling and get to, you know, get to the bottom of it. And that's why I think, you know, during talk therapy, when it comes out of your mouth, it, you know, you're starting to understand what the, that anxiety is. And, you know, that's just my little experience and I'm not a licensed psychologist or uh, practitioner. So that's just my, my little viewpoint, but that's helped me navigate, I think, and just, I think, conceptually understand it a little better. Yeah, there's a lot of um, kind of comments on depression being like fear or angst or emotional obsession with things that have occurred in the past and anxiety being a, you know, a paralysis, a fear, an angst of things that are yet to happen or... um going to happen in the future. And I like the idea of getting at that fear um, because it's a way of circumnavigating the paralysis that, um, you know, the comment about anxiety is because, you know, when I hear the phrase like, oh, I have anxiety or I'm feeling anxious, I really, well, first of all, I want to talk about the possessive use of a term to describe an emotional state. Like I have anxiety, which is just an absolute fallacy in our language and it's become the standard way that people talk to each other you know you say um like oh i have depression i have anxiety and it's a possessive word to mean like you know it's this thing that i throw in my backpack and i carry around with me everywhere i go and so whenever i hear that phrase i always kind of cringe because i think a more appropriate term is always like i'm feeling anxious and um, when you say that, I'm feeling anxious, it's an empowering term, which allows you to then ask, why am I feeling anxious and get to like, you know, what you're talking about, which is that next level of like the fear of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that possessive language that, you know, I think we've, we, it was a long time ago we talked about on the podcast, but that's something that I think I've tried to change that in my own mental chatter, you know, instead of you, you start to feel these emotions and then you quickly assume that as your personal identity. So, you know, like I'm, I am sad or I'm feeling sad. You know, it's a, it's these little, I think language is very important. Uh, and I think when it, when we're, you're talking about something as, um, as important, I think in mental health right now is a huge discussion and, uh, we're, we're starting to learn more, but it's, it's these things that I think give you some additional tools to navigate. They've they've at least helped me navigate some of that difficult, that that mental chatter that's just there. And it's, 
really hard. You can't you can't just pin it down, or I can't pin it down, and have it go away. So these are some things that I think you know. It helps to hear what you've said. That's helped me over the last I don't know five ten years. Um, hearing kind of what you've been saying because we all have different experiences and uh, learning from other people for me has been very helpful. Uh, do you remember the river cutters? Um, science actually it was a, it was a uh, i believe it was kind of a science or geography exercise in a fourth grade where you got this like sloped piece of sediment and kind of sand and silt and then you put like various different kind of droplets of water and then watched how like the sediment moved down do you recall the river cutters day I don't. <laughs> okay, I I remember it vividly um, because uh, a number of different things. I thought it was very fascinating just to watch, like how you know how it worked overall. But um, it's become such a metaphor in my life because um, when you would, you know, and I mean, this isn't rocket science here. You go look at the Grand Canyon, you're going to come to the same conclusion about like water moving in the same place for a long time cuts deep and forms a very deep gorge. And, um, one of the, um, uh, the daily stoic for this week was around habits. And it was like, every time you do a habit, you strengthen it. And, um, so when, when it comes to thinking, it becomes a real challenge to identify what, um, thought patterns you're having because every single time you do them you like dig that groove deeper and it's the same thing with habits i mean that's what it's that's why going to the golf range is highly effective at fixing your swing because you're just (laughs) (laughs) repeatedly being able to try and change the groove that is ingrained in your muscle memory and um, from a thought pattern perspective it's the exact same thing you know if you catch yourself and the reason i bring this up is because um my wife is, you know, 38 weeks pregnant and, um, 38 and a half, she'll tell you. Uh, and so, you know, we're for all the young guys out there. That's very close to the end. <laughs> yes. 40 weeks out of is 40. Yeah. 36 is full term. So technically the baby would be fine if he came, but, um, anyways, so she has been experiencing a lot of feelings of anxiety about giving birth, which is incredibly natural. You know, I, I certainly don't falter for any of that. And, and, um, I say this because you were talking about, you know, catching yourself. One thing I noticed is she says a lot, like I have anxiety about giving birth and I'm, uh, I resist the urge to be like, well, you know, you feel anxious, right? Cause I don't want to correct her in this hyper emotional state right now. Yeah, that, that, you've that's going to be a, it's going to be a half hour that you're not going to get back. So you've learned, <laughs> we've both made that mistake. Yeah. So, there's a time to do it and a time to not do it. Yeah. So, so one way, um, I've, you know, tried to at least kind of steer myself as being like, Oh, I'm sorry that you're feeling anxious. And then I do like kind of the reaffirming thing and reframing. And then you can then have that conversation of like, what are you feeling anxious about? As opposed to, um, you know, I have anxiety. It's that paralysis. It's such a same thing when you say the phrase, like I have depression. I mean, that's, that's a paralyzing statement right there. There's no, there's no, there's no tangible place to go. There's no, I mean, it's a, it's a dead end. 
It really is. And there's, you, I think the word that you have said for a long time is agency and the ability to have agency and feel like you can control your situation, I think is so important to the human condition. And that's, you know, baked into us as a species, you know, that I, I'm just pontificating here, but I think that for me being, I've noticed being autonomous and having the ability of choice and the ability to make your own decision. I've noticed from, you know, persuasion, managing people, all of that stuff, the ability, having somebody think they can make a change is the best way for them to change it. And I love what you're talking about of changing your own narrative. And one of the things that I've found very helpful in my relationship with my wife too, is if I do the things that I want to happen, it's much easier than me just, you know, like telling somebody to do something. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like acting. And if let's just say the dishes aren't being done, you know, if I go do them constantly and I'm always doing them, then there's that follows. I mean, it's, it's, I figured that out. Like the, the whole yelling thing doesn't work out very well. I mean, at times you need to point out, um, but acting the behavior is a much better way. So I love that, that way that you're navigating it. It is. And I, um, I think another topic we've touched on is, is how highly effective people have conversations in business settings. And this whole idea of possessiveness, I think, is relatively absent when people have a highly effective conversation, you know, like um, in terms of, I mean, it, because what it does is it breeds inactivity. It doesn't provide agency. If you say, this is my idea, I'm thinking about this, <laughs> then, it, you know, Yep. who's going to jump on your bandwagon, you know, unless you're the CEO and it's, it's explicit that there's power and you need people to just like be sheep and fall in line, which me being a 30 year old, I don't, I'm usually not the person with the authority in the room. As a matter of fact, I would say, you know, I'm never the person in the, <laughs> as, that's the authority figure in the room. And I might be the authority figure on a particular subject, but you know, general clout. Uh, and that's the way I try to keep myself, you know, I, I feel like if I'm in a room where I'm the authority figure, perhaps I'm not necessarily developing. So I I always kind of strive for those settings where I'm the youngest person in the room. And Mm -hmm. that possessiveness thing, I mean, it it breeds that instability. It breeds that inactivity in in, in our emotional selves, too. Like, you know, when you say I am a happy person, I am this, I am that. um, It's just you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're not empowering terms. They're, they're dead ends. And, uh, it's the same thing with ideas when ideas are presented in that sort of like ownership realm, as opposed to a collaborative nature, um, they can be things that other people, you know, can kind of cue off of and build off of, as opposed to like, you know, I, everybody, I've got a train going this way. Why don't you hop on? You know, that, that typically doesn't work when you got a lot of chiefs around and not a lot of Indians. No. What going off your kind of thing about this ownership of the idea. This is a subject that I have been thinking about a lot. And the reason why is I've been, I was talking with a younger, a younger guy, you know, who's kind of in his career and he was talking about, you know, Oh, being in a startup. And he's like, I just don't have any ideas. You know, I don't know of any ideas. And, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to about kind of getting, getting into something new, I've talked about this like light bulb of ideas and you know, we, we just as a culture are trying to reward like, oh my God, Facebook was such a great idea. 
you know, it's like all of the, it's like, well, Facebook kind of copied MySpace. you know, it's like they took the, what I, what I see from a lot of companies or quote, great ideas that we've, we've termed ideas are really combining two separate things. It's not like rocket science, you know, it's not like they're sitting in a room, you know, Einstein and all of a sudden this like lightning bolt of an idea. It's like, that's not how these things happen. And so what I've noticed from a lot of these really great companies is they take like two things that are kind of similar and combine them and make them into one, you know, or they, they make some type of an efficiency with a process and they make it, you know, instead of doing three steps, you do two now, or you do three to one, you know, it's like, these are the, it's not like this idea. And that's what I, I keep hearing from a lot of these. I think it's younger people. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of it is inexperience. It's nothing that they, you know, can really control, but that's a message that I was trying to, trying to help uh, him understand was, you know, it's the, these quote ideas are that that's kind of a fallacy. And I think there's more to execution, the right team, the right time, the right space, you know, all of, there's a lot of other factors other than like, oh, I thought of this great idea. It's like, cause that's kind of, I think the short, quick, as we've talked about with culturally, the short, quick fix to having a startup is like, I just thought of an idea. It's like, well, there's it. That is step one of, you know, a hundred thousand. So that's kind of what just, I'm sorry. I had to have a little, uh, got on my soapbox about that, but that was, uh, that's been, that's something that just kind of came up and that ownership of the idea kind of hits, hits that same vein. Well, and do you recall what the original Facebook idea was? Yeah, wasn't hot, it like hot or not? Hot or not. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that is wouldn't genius. Have, that wouldn't have flied in today's, uh, today's culture. <laughs> well, I mean, Tinder is hot or not, you know, and if you both people, except Tinder is just now you have people on either side, um, you know, doing hot or not. And then, and then with the explicit intents of an, of an outreach, um, as opposed to, you know, a public forum to discuss people's hotness. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That, uh, the, the origin story of like Facebook is really pretty entertaining, you know, cause it's like this hot or not. I mean, that's not a great start to a company. <laughs> it's not so, the, yeah. I mean, it, it's not to uh, save the world. We're going to connect everybody thing no. that you hear from them. It's not, and a credit to them for making the pivot to be a juggernaut. You know, it's remarkable. Um, but yeah, the slow build is is really is really something. And uh, in terms of that ownership of idea, one thing I've been bumping up against, and um, the uh, you know when you're talking about the startup, and you know how do you have this idea? Um, I, I'm working in a new position where I'm in a what they call a highly matrixed environment, and uh, what that means is. People don't talk to each other. There's a lot of side conversations. There's a lot of stuff going on, but there's poor coordination and poor alignment across the organization. And um, I used to work in a startup, and I may have said this in the cast before, but where we had one person doing three jobs, now I'm at a place where they have three people doing one job, which is a different set of um, issues. And one of the things that I've been, you know, in, in my previous job, there would be these we were new in the space. We had um, little awareness of what we were doing, 
So any idea was a pretty significant breakthrough. And one of my biggest frustrations was that I thought that a lot of the ideas that we were seeing and these ideas would usually be formed in data and we'd have data to validate and back up the behavior that we were seeing. There was a certain subset of the organization that, you know, was coming up with these ideas. And there was another subset of the organization that was basically just being like, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, we're going out this way anyways. And that was one of the reasons I wasn't, you know, super jazzed about it is just because it was sort of some intercompany turmoil, which is natural. It's going to happen everywhere you go. So uh, I'm not faulting them for that. But um, this new position, um, what I'm finding is that, like, I think that an idea holds weight, but ideas are um so cheap because um idea there's enough talented people in the organization to pretty much have already thought about everything you know i mean <laughs> yeah we it's not rocket science here you you're spending you know, they're going to lose a significant amount of money in a value-based arrangement. Yeah. Okay. Let's divert costs out of the high cost centers of the health system. So, you know, we need to pay attention to how many admits per thousand. It's like, yep, you will want to know how many people are being admitted to your hospital because that's a indicator of perhaps over utilization or whatever. Um, but this is, so these ideas are not that, they're not that valuable, but what this week it became very apparent to me that like, the way that, um, cause I, I was, t- you know, I was told that there's essentially like no infrastructure for a data governance plan. And so they have no data coordination across, a you know, a $1.6 billion organization. That means there's no consistent under definition of a single metric in their entire organization from an analytics perspective, which means from a database and a, uh, in a, uh, configuration perspective either like you could ask one person in any part of the organization what a particular metric is and you will get five to seven different answers which is a real problem uh on a on an organization in an organization where you're trying to establish consistency so that's like a huge data governance is kind of a buzzword that i think a lot of organizations are going through but in an organ in an industry that has historically not been data driven Healthcare has historically not been data-driven, so you don't have a lot of consistency in the data definitions. Other organizations like, you know, um, uh, a lot of digital organizations, for example, they do have internet, like, very consistent definitions. Yeah, you think of like, okay, just a website. What is a, a website visit? You click-through know, Click-through rate. You know, like all of these things are very simply defined. And... So yeah, they, th- that's a good example of, you know, an industry that's, that, that started out with a data mindset. And so I, you know, I've been told that they've got no data infrastructure or whatever. And so I'm, you know, and I've been told by people that we really need it. And we think that you're in an area that it would be great to drive it. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll start pushing on this thing. And then I'm pushing on it. And then I get invited to this other meeting with all these technical people. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have all of this infrastructure stood up. That would be perfect for this thing. And I was kind of my jaw hit the floor. And I was like, why do you guys have all of this stuff? And it's just never, never been never like really made any progress towards going that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was taken aback because I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be driving something, but 
at the same time, you've obviously had a lot of people already thinking about this. <laughs> and you have this infrastructure set up. You have this perfect technology that it's meant to do this. And so it was, you know, I was in this meeting and it was like, great, you know, we don't have to build something custom. All we have to do is figure out how to use this existing tool within their electronic medical record system, yeah. which is great. Um, but what was unfamiliar to me is like how in this highly matrixed environment, you have people a lot of the times just making progress on the same stuff, like doing the same thing. Okay. A lot of inefficiencies. Inefficiencies and a lack of coordination. So um, I had a bit of a weak moment with one of my mentors at the organization. And I was like, you know, I was really taken aback by that. How can I be effective if I am unaware of all of this work? Because I was going to go down a whole different path that had nothing to do with this existing technology. I was going to build something custom or whatever, and it would have been an absolute waste of time. And he was, he was just like, you know, just ask questions, just ask questions. It'll be fine. Um, you know, get, get into the right areas, ask questions. And, um, that's how you stay out of the, out of the, out of the realm of like proposing something that then, you know, you have this other, solution that there's already been investment in and then you look like an idiot because you're you don't know the context and you're like oh i'm the savior here owning this idea or whatever and i was like man how am i going to be effective in this organization when i don't have that visibility right now and i obviously working on that visibility is another thing but that was just like kind of a big change um based on the environment that i was in you know i'm going from an organization that was you know 600 people to i think the you know the client now is a for it's a fortune five company or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, a it was a great kind of learning opportunity for me and just, just something that I'm thinking about as far as how do I be a more effective, uh, you know, kind of connector and leader of ideas within the context of this environment where there's a lot of people doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you communicate that? you know, and, and really get other people to communicate <laughs> too. And that's why, yeah, there's so many meetings that people are sitting in, in these large organizations. You could kind of see why. Oh man, it's, it'll be a challenge. Um, it's a challenge that I welcome, frankly, because it's just a new arena to play in, you know? Um, but, uh, this, this whole idea of the Socratic method, I think is, is pretty hilarious because last week on the podcast, we talked about, uh, rule number one, which, uh, for those of you who haven't picked up that episode, go, go listen to it. It's about the uh, 13 commandments of a Casanova where um, it was this list of rules that I shared with my, uh, ninth and 10th grade lacrosse team when I was a coach. Um, for when somebody asked me how to talk to girls and the second rule, and I want to get your opinion on this. So the, the question I got asked was how do we, how, how do we talk to girls? The first rule is be confident with your chest air, go to the previous episode to hear about that. The second rule is only ask questions. What yes, I, that? <laughs> I like it. And you know, I can, I can expand on that one. Ask questions that, that, they want to talk about stuff they want to talk about. So <laughs> this is something that I was, you know, I've, I've been trying to understand people that are really charismatic and, you know, you can, you can see people that are really good at questions and one person is Joe Rogan. So there are two things that I've picked up from him 
listening to his podcast. So the first one is he knows how to put the other person in a good mood within 20 seconds of the podcast. 20 seconds. He does. And so one of the tactic that I was noticing is he compliments them on something that is, you know, not, uh, not like too cheesy. So like this guy showed up with a beard and he just said, that is a, that is a, a nasty beard. I really like that. That's awesome. And he was, and he just, then he was like, yeah, I can't grow a beard like that. And then he just said, and then the next thing is he, he transitions out of that compliment and he says, oh, it reminds me of, um, this guy that I knew, you know, that beard of the wrestler that did this thing. And he was like, oh, that wrestler. And then he just like, and then it just kind of shot off into the right space. And I think what people struggle with is compliment and then the transition, Yeah, you know, cause it's like, oh, I love your background of your zoom room. Then what do you say after that? Then it just becomes like a dead point. So that's something that I've, you know, you can use that with women. Again, it's very, that's a dangerous thing because they get complimented all day. But if you can transition out of that, I think that helps really, really good. And the second point that I found is really interesting is he, he asked like, so where are you from? Why do you live there? You know, and then they start talking about why they live there. So they're going to find a positive reason. So and it's kind of going one layer deeper and asking why. So I've been doing that in my meetings. Like, oh, where are you located? Well, why do you live there? And people just go off. And it's like an immediate two minutes of like, oh, I really like it here because of this. I've got family. Da-da. Oh, yeah, family. So it's like those are two kind of little tricks or things that I've been thinking about in my meetings because I've noticed you can create a like an environment at the beginning of the meeting. So that's something, you know, kind of your how to talk to girls, ask them questions. I think having the right kind of question logic would help. Absolutely. I love the, uh, I don't, I don't know if the whole, why do you live with your parents when you're in middle school is going to fly? Obviously keep the audience in, in check. I love that for anybody who has made a decision to, you know, go to a college, live somewhere, you know, what you're asking them to do is, you know, share a little bit of like their thought process, their agency that brought them to where they are in life, which I, I think is a terrific tactic. I'm going to start to employ that. Um, and in the context of high school, um, you know, these guys are 14, 15 years old. This is the first time they've ever tasted testosterone in their entire life. They're thinking that, you know, you got to be the big man on campus in order to get girls. So you got to be like, Oh man, I'm a starter on the football team. And you, you think at that age that like, you're supposed to prove your worth by like listing your accomplishments. And I've seen it time and time again, like I've done this, I've done that. Cause like the hell else are you going to say as a young man trying to impress a girl? It's Uh, just baked into us. It is. And it took me years to get out of that and realize that like, they don't give a shit (laughs) you know like they're gonna make that assessment of you on their own and there's basically nothing you can do to influence it except demonstrate your character and the more you actually like avoid going that direction as far as building yourself up the greater their interest level will be to figure out those things like what do you do where do you live you know 
where do you rank on the social scale? You know, yeah. <laughs> like you don't lead with that stuff. Uh, and no. so I always, I, I thought that was a funny one because uh, uh, one, <laughs> there was, oh, uh, anyway, I'll get to that rule another time because there was an instance. Uh, oh yeah. We'll, we'll get to that rule in the next podcast, but uh, so yes, only ask questions. Think, I'm trying to think of like a good way to put it in terms of like a high schooler you know what are the questions i mean you could you could ask why they participate in a sport you know like well why do you do tennis or you that, know, why yep. you know that might open up an interest the the one thing that you do have as a as an advantage when you're in middle school or high school is you do have some context around who they are so what classes they take what friends they have you know, you're not like when you're out in the wild, basically after college, you have no context. Zero. So having a, dis having a discussion or, a, you know, if you're talking to girls requires a lot different strategies. So I would, if you can kind of use that context to come up with a question, just ask, you know, I wouldn't ask like, why do you hang out with that girl? But like, cause I don't think that goes the right direction. <laughs> no. <laughs> <'Cause, yeah. laughs> You could be opening up a can of worms and you don't want to go down that route. Uh, but I think, you know, why do you, you know, why are you, why are you in track or why do you do, why are you in band or mm -hmm. why are you in choir? Your parents make, you know, like my why parents do play the saxophone. Yep. Yeah. My parents made me do it. I actually don't like doing it. Oh, really? Like, tell what me more like about that. Yeah. What do you like to do? You know, it's like those little things, which man, I didn't have any of that stuff when I was younger, no fault to anybody around me, you know, but it's like, those little things can sometimes release that anxiety of these conversations. If you can like hold on to one or two questions that you feel like oh, gets me through the first minute and a half, you know, that's something that I still deal with every day. I mean, before you go to a social event, it's like, all right, you know, my wife and I are like, all right, what do we have to talk about? <laughs> What's going on? What's going on in their life? What do you think they want to talk about? And he's like a, we just kind of have made it a routine to before you show up, it helps, I think, decrease the level of anxiety of hanging out is, you know, what stories do we have to tell? You know, it's just like it helps, I think. And for people that are more anxious for these social situations, that's a good exercise that we found to be helpful. I love that. And one of the ways to be socially interesting um, is to one first not be threatening and not be like super weird so um you could start going off on that you know tangential path to show them that you're a creative individual but typically i advise not to start there you know you don't go into a conversation with somebody fresh and be like you know what's your favorite thing to do in the whole wide world <laughs> it's just too it's too weighty you know yeah and so, or like, you know, what's the one thing you want to do before you die? Yeah. Like you can, you can build up to those types of questions, but, um, and I, I bring this up because you talk about the contextual environment in which a high schooler is in you, Sure. It's great to talk about sports, you know, your brothers and sisters, your, your classes that you're going to take, you know, you can use that contextual environment. What happens in college then is, uh, you got a couple beachheads shall we say <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna start a conversation with a girl in college um and you're a freshman you're gonna probably lead it off with the old faithful 
what's your major? <laughs> and yep. And Solid. I can, it's, base hit. Yeah, it, it's, it's a base hit, but it's not a guarantee. You know, well, it, you're you're, still it's gonna, a little you're gonna get challenged. It's a dribbler. It's a dribbler, and you're gonna have to beat the throw out if you're gonna. <laughs> you gotta ask, beat the throw. You gotta be just. You gotta be chugging it to the base. Yeah, you better be prepared. Which direction you're gonna go after that? Because uh, if you don't have that sort of tangential jump on point, ready to go after that, after that dribbler, you better be able to steal a base. Next yeah, one is really what it comes down to. Yeah, you're 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 almost coming in in the negative there because when you ask the same question but if you can transition you can make it through that first first inter like that first kind of moment or they're sizing you up which we all know happens well and um most freshman boys are not really good at talking to girls uh i and myself included when i was a freshman i still probably am not very good at it but um the uh so there's going to be a lot of fish in the sea leading with that little dribbler you know you're probably not going to be the first guy to ask her what your major is what her major is that night um and so i you know that contextual question as far as why you know because then what always happens is in minnesota at least what's your major where are you from and then what you try to do is be like oh i played lacrosse with that person do you know them and then you do this minnesota thing who do you know Yep. You create the oh, I know that person. They know me. We're we're now we're friends. We're and we're where like, does that go? No, it doesn't go anywhere. It's a dead end. Mm-hmm. Unless you have some great again, that's another one of those dead ends where you gotta you gotta steal a base after that. So if you do by some odd way land one of those connections of like oh yeah, I know that person, you better be prepared to tell a really funny story or, or pour have a glass a, of water on your head or do something like you gotta you got to get out of the base hit game because you're they're moving on already yeah absolutely and so you know you can like if the chances of you having a great contextual story to talk about some distant person that unless it's you know your best friend and you're like oh you know when we were a kid we used to always go over to this ice cream parlor down by wherever it is in your neighborhood did you ever go to this place oh my god i went there so much i love that place oh what's your favorite ice cream now you're on a new track. You're off. That train is hurtling down the station now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? yep. That's where the steam is piling in. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're just chucking coal confident. in there. Oh, yeah. Feeling- start to stand up a little straighter, puff the chest out a little bit. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of positive signals in your brain going, this might actually be working. So, <laughs> and, then the starting- second, and then the second your brain and body does that, you start to lose the momentum. Oh, momentum's <laughs> gone. Momentum's gone because then you're getting cocky and then you ask some dumb question or, you know, you kind of ruin it because you're probably not listening at this point. You're probably not listening at all. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not hearing the next cue to move on to the next part of the conversation. And, you know, the people that you're talking about, they know when you're tuning people out. I mean, it's not very difficult for uh, especially I think females have a better awareness of this than males um but you can tell when somebody's not tuned into you i mean it's like it's like the cell phone check i mean everybody knows there you're not you can't do two things at once yeah. so when you're when you're spinning your wheels in your head like this is going awesome <laughs> you, 
start to pull back the reins and focus back in on that conversation. Yeah, the coach just gave you a sign to steal a base, and you missed it because you were so happy you made it to first. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. You got to keep your head in the game. That should be that should be another like sub rule. It should be two A is ask questions and keep your head in the game. I don't I don't recall all thirteen of them off the top of my head, but that would be a that would be a good one. Stay focused. I mean, they're not rocket science rules, but I was trying to give them a, a little bit of a a little bit of some advice as to how to how to have success in the realm of uh, engaging with the opposite sex. And I hey, by no means was by no means was an expert, but being a four year old, you know, ha- having four or five years on a young man is is a uh, is a lot of time, I feel like to be able to be like, all right, I know where you are, sir. Yep. We've had a lot of swing and misses. So I'll tell you what uh, what's worked and what you definitely do not do. Because uh, you can't swing at a pitch with your eyes closed. I know that for sure. So <laughs> there's a few things we know how to do. Uh, and, you know, we didn't do everything perfectly. I, you know, we both made so many, I'd say, mistakes or learning opportunities in our in our young life. So, you know, well, I, I, I look back fondly on times that I made a mistake, but I was able to, in the moment, navigate and get through that. And that was almost the most rewarding for me was when I would show up in a situation and make a mistake and then be able to get out of that mistake, you know, be able to navigate, man. That, I mean, that gave me a lot of social feedback that, you know, you can handle these difficult situations and that helps with your confidence big time is when you, when you can pull the reins back, you know, when you're stealing third and the ball's flying in, and you made a serious error, you know, there's, there's some times that you can, you know, you can survive, you know, you're in the pickle and you figure out how that, that one guy, he trips and you find your opportunity. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a rewarding part of that experience. And it's talk about anxiety and fear. You're going to go through all of it, or I've went through a lot of it. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. And um, if you're happy being a broken clock being twice a day, that's one thing, you know, because I do believe that there's some folks who, you know, in certain aspects of your life are okay with being right twice a day. Um, And, you know, when confidence is low and skills are low, that's that sometimes is enough. And um, I think there's something to be said about focusing in and, you know, trying to actually fix the clock or learn what's going on with the clock and why it doesn't run. And, uh, that's, you know, I mean, you apply that to any sort of aspect of your life, the, the skills and the attention go to where your focus is. And so, uh, I, 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 no shame in it. I legitimately watched videos about how to talk to girls because I like was just not very good at it, you know? Yeah. And, well, we, we did a little, we had a little trial and error, uh, Friday and Saturday nights, we'd go out with three single guys and just try out different things. And those are some of the most entertaining nights we had. A lot of fun. You're swinging at a lot of pitches. Sometimes your eyes are open. Uh, sometimes you're going to hit a home run, you know, you never know. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, those a- are those are good experiences. And there's no there's no harm in trying to learn, you know, and trying to trying to educate yourself. And, you know, some pe- people aren't just naturals. And I think we identified there's some, some males 
you know, have an advantage because they, let's just say they have an older sister, you know, or something like that. So their comfort level is different. So everybody's showing up to the game a little differently, but you can always get better. Well, in the online dating game, I mean, talk about a different playing field. Oh, man. You know, I mean, you could go out to the bars and talk to, I don't know, five to ten girls would be a lot of, five to seven girls would be a lot of conversation. Oh, that's that's you got some you got some balls if you're talking to five in my opinion you know five to seven girls is a lot me putting myself in my early you know 20s don't know anybody don't have any social connections you're going up to people in from dead cold and introducing yourself or whatever your opening line is you know i don't know um but that was usually me I, i would always start with the hi i'm adam that and people would be like oh shit this is either going to be really great or I'm already afraid. Yep. Uh, you got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. And, and um, go ahead. Yeah. I, I like that, that approach, you know, it's all about the, the next few moments in that transition. So, you know, experiment with it. And we, we did a lot of, a lot of pitches, but it's, it's a good challenge, I think. And, you know, I think we've, at least I identified you know, I wanted to get married and have a family. And that's something that I thought about is like, you know, what does it require, you know, that, and, and having a, a female companion. And I, I feel very good about my current situation. And so, yeah, it just take, it does take a lot of work and it's an important decision who you, who you spend your life with, you know, who you decide to, to be a partner with or, you know, whatever the, the language is that uh that you need but i think that's something that it's a it's an important decision so i wouldn't uh you know take your time and and make the right make the right call and you'll know or you won't know so well and in in terms of the game changing with online dating uh one of our uh close relatives is a shall we say an experienced at bat uh um batsman he's a He's a DH at this point, um, and he's given us a couple insider tips as to how to have effective online profiles because now in the era of picture in, you know, I don't know, a sentence or two sentences maybe on your profile before somebody's going to make a judgment about whether or not they want to meet you. Mm. Um, the comment that uh, he had, and I don't think we've talked about this in the cast yet, have we? No, we haven't. This is a good one. Um, So this gentleman, he's a good-looking guy. He's uh, got a great job. He's got everything going for him. Uh, He's in his late 20s, and um, he said that his his profile, I don't remember what his first word is, what his first statement is, you know, something about, hi, I'm John, and I, I know what the last point is, and it's, and I love pistachio ice cream. And he says that more girls bite on that hook than you could ever imagine. And because you got, you know, I'm sure there are guys dating profiles, going out and doing the old, like, um, I'm an investment banker. I, I'm from Edina. I play lacrosse. I'm an absolute, well, a lot of what I, we ta- I'm jacked we talk- and tan. Well, a lot of what we talked about is like, we said some people are saying, I'm looking for this. Oh, yeah. It, and that that's a that's a tough thing to to state that you know because you're already then trying to 
show like there's a need for them to show you value, which that turns a lot of people off. Right. And there's a control thing right out of the gate, which is, this is my criteria. Yep. Yep. Which, you know, men, and I think some people have the mindset of, well, that's just going to kind of, that'll eliminate the ones that I don't want. Well, I think that's, that, that's kind of the simple way of looking at it. I think there's more psychology involved in the controlling nature. So I think you, control is the word I would use. That's a good word. Yeah. And I, what I like about the pistachio ice cream one is it's, 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 uh, it's unique. It's non-threatening and it's also, um, a little bit of, I mean, you're going to look at a picture of him and you're going to see that he's an in shape guy. So, you know, it's not like, you know, if I were 50 pounds overweight being like, I love pizza that probably wouldn't spark a whole lot of female interest. Just a guess. Maybe, I don't know. There could be people out there who, who would love that. But uh, I think, you know, you got to be careful about how it relates to the images that you're sharing. So like, you know, if he was, uh, if he was showing pictures of him, you know, dressed in all black, you know, with in a candlelit room playing the violin saying like, I love pistachio ice cream. I don't think that would land as yeah, you're well. Going with the same tone. Going with the same tone. But when he, you know, he's outside in the sun smiling, then you throw the pistachio ice cream out there. It's a great way. It's a, it's a hook, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of bait. And apparently uh, that bait goes real well in the uh, in the sea of tinder or, or in the sea of coffee meets bagel or uh, or i don't even know what the other ones are at this Hinger. point i think that's Hinge, the other yep. big one it's all free marketing for those uh those apps out there but it, it'll be interesting now with the you know because the mask mandates removed so it might be kind of open season for back to kind of the normal dating routines We'll see. I'm curious to see how many of those uh, profile pictures with masks come off oh, and yeah. when. Yeah. Yep. We were kind of talking about the the signaling of masks and how that has been used, you know, for, for I think, for good with some good intent to show, you know, some type of compliance for something they believe in. Um, but yeah, I think on dating profiles, that's an interesting one. <laughs> well, dating or any social, you know, your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, when are those uh when are those mask profiles going to come down? Because uh well, Biden said uh you can on Thursday or whatever day it was, a couple days ago. So I don't know, is it are you a more hardcore follower if you continue to wear the mask? Are you do are you more are you more protective and socially conscious than abiding by the rules to, you know, it's obviously it's personal preference. Everybody's situation is different as far as, you know, if their loved one has received a vaccine or if they have or whatever. And, but I just think it's kind of, it's going to be a fun and fascinating kind of summer when um, the new book is written on like virtue signaling around the pandemic. Like obviously the vaccine is, you know, the one that, is your ace in the hole all of the time, but um, it's going to be a bit of a new ball game. Yeah. And one piece on that is we went to Costco yesterday. So they were one of the first stores to release it. They didn't have a sign out front. We walked in with our mask off and then we saw an employee right away with a mask off. So we dipped it off just to try. And man, was that a, an exciting time. (laughs) 
<laughs> you felt a little like you were breaking the law, to be honest. You know, it was a weird feeling and a lot of looks from other, I'd say 10% of the people were wearing masks and we didn't know this. It was announced like 20 minutes before we showed up. So we showed up because we talked to our neighbors and they were all like, oh, Target still is requiring them. You know, everybody's kind of trying to figure out what the, what to do. But that was quite the experience. Um, and you can see there's a lot of social, like people are trying to figure out what to do next. So we actually enjoyed the entire, we said that was the most, one of the most entertaining visits to Costco we had ever had because it was just a lot of just, it was just, it's kind of a funny feeling. It's hard to describe. A lot of posturing. Posturing. And then people, you know, there's like, there's kind of been those people that have been, we call them like the mask police maybe, or people that are really for, but they don't quite have that foot to stand on anymore. So it's, everybody's in this like gray zone and it's just kind of entertaining because you're just walking around and it was more like, how are people going to react to this? And nobody knows what the heck they're doing. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) Oh, it was very, and you know, we have been fortunate to get the vaccine. We're, you know, through the entire two weeks post second one. So we feel confident in where we are and we've, you know, so our situation, we feel pretty good about and everybody's in their own group. So we're not really judging anybody. It was just the, so it's kind of a social experiment. Like what's going to happen here? It's going to continue to be a social experiment and, uh, we will continue to report on it, but that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week. We'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.